we have been studying this book of Exodus now. This is our third week, and uh, the, uh, the series is called Discovering God, and I've entitled this message, Deliverance Delayed. Deliverance Delayed. Now, this story, the book of Exodus, it is an ancient story with a timeless message, and that message is that there is one God, and only one God, who is worthy of our worship. The main character of the book of Exodus is Yahweh. And if you're not familiar with that word, you're like, wait, what, who? Yahweh, as we've talked about these last few weeks, is simply God's name, right? I am a human, my name is Brian. God is God, and his name is Yahweh. He is the main character, and he, once again, is the only one who is worthy of our worship. And what we're doing in this series is so important because what we're trying to do is we're studying this story of God working with his people, the Israelites, and freeing them from slavery and establishing them as a nation and all of that. And we're looking at what did they discover about God in that process so that you and I can discover more and more about him ourselves and so that we can understand what does it mean to be the people of God as we try to be the people of God in a, in a culture that doesn't necessarily share our values and in a world where we've got hundreds of different false gods competing for our worship. They're just gods that look a little different than the Egyptian gods did. By the way, you'll see this text number to my right and to my left. It's the same number you text to, text to give. We are sending out devotionals, guided scripture readings, different resources on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays all throughout the Exodus series. And you can get those sent directly to your phone by texting Exodus to that number. We have over 500 people subscribed already. So if you want to uh, join in that, would encourage you uh, to do that. And to those of you that have already subscribed, hope that's been a blessing to you. Now, the main human character in the book of Exodus, is Moses. And at the beginning of Exodus chapter 3, Moses is living his best life as an exiled criminal who is tending to his father-in-law's sheep. We said last week, if that's not living the dream, I don't know what is. But things change pretty dramatically for Moses as he is, has an encounter with Yahweh in a burning bush. God speaks to him and says, Moses, I've heard my people, Israel, who were enslaved in Egypt, I've heard them crying out to me, and I'm going to use you to go talk to Pharaoh and free them from slavery. Piece of cake, right? We good? Well, well, Moses isn't exactly good with this plan. He's a little nervous. He does an awful lot of whining uh, in, in, in Exodus chapter 3 and even into Exodus chapter 4. But God eventually says, listen, quit whining. I'm going to give you your brother Aaron to go with you. He'll do all the talking. We're doing this. Let's go. So Aaron and Moses schlep their way back to Egypt. They meet with Israel's leaders and say, listen, God has spoken to us. God has, has come to us, and he said he is going to rescue Israel from slavery. And they've got their doubts, because after all, Moses, when they last saw him, was a criminal fleeing town. But God had given Moses these signs to perform in front of the leaders of Israel, and he performed those signs, and that helped them realize, oh my gosh, like they're legit. Like, God has spoken. God is doing something. God has heard our prayers. And it says at the end of Exodus chapter 4 that they, they bowed their heads in worship in response to the revelation they had received, in response to knowing that God had truly heard their prayers. And, I, and let's not forget, it had been 400 years of slavery for Israel, 400 years, literally generation after generation had come and gone, knowing nothing but slavery and longing for God's deliverance, right? Have you ever prayed for something for a long time and then gotten frustrated because you haven't seen a whole lot of movement? <laughs> I, I certainly have had that experience. Imagine praying for something for generations. And then imagine how you would feel if finally, out of the blue, Something happens. I mean, can you imagine the feelings of long overdue hope and optimism that must have filled the hearts of the people? Oh my gosh, this promise that our ancestors have told us about is going to be fulfilled. God is going to move. God is going to deliver us. We're going to get out of Egypt into the promised land. Finally, after generations of darkness, light is dawning. I can't imagine what that feeling must have been like. They were going to go in, they're going to go tell Pharaoh what's what, and that was going to be the end of it. What are they? They're filled with hope, right? They're filled with hope. 
And, and just think for a quick second, your, your own life. When was the last time you were filled with hope? Or just think to a, a time when you were really hopeful about something. It's an amazing feeling, isn't it? When we feel hope, when we feel some optimism, when we feel some excitement, like I love that feeling. And I don't know about you, but I, I tend to feel that when I'm, when I'm starting something new, right? Like any time in my life I've, I've started a new job, it's like, all right, hey, new opportunities. Or, you know, as much as I hate moving, it's like you get into a new space and you're like, all right, hey, this is, this is exciting, right? Or I, I think about, you know, the beginning of a, of a sports season, coaching my kids or, or beginning to train for some sort of, you know, event, as, you know, different things that I do. Like you get to the, the beginning of something and you're full of hope. Why? Because you have all these expectations and you see all these possibilities in the future. It's an amazing feeling. And I just, I can't even imagine how much they must have felt that level of hope at this moment in the story. Finally, something is going to go our way. So let's read what happens. We're, we're going to read all the, way through, all the way through chapter 5 all at once. I'll make a couple comments at the beginning, but for the most part, we're just going to read the story beginning to end. So Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. All right, pause real quick. I'm a very competitive person. Like, I enjoy competition. It just, I get a lot of it. I just get a lot of pleasure out of it. I just really, really like it. But I've never really been much of a trash talker <laughs> for two reasons. Number one, I like to fancy myself as a non jerk. <laughs> and trash talking is just mean, right? Number two, I know how sports work. Sports work in that somebody always wins and somebody always loses, and nobody wins all the time. And when you talk a lot of trash and then lose, you look like an idiot, right? <laughs> Pharaoh is talking some trash. Who is, the, who is Yahweh? Never heard of the guy, right? A time will come very soon <laughs> where they will become quite well acquainted. <laughs> and Pharaoh will not say, who is the Lord any longer? But we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Verse 3. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with a sword. Remember, we said last week, three days journey, that's a euphemism. It means let us go and we'll come back when we feel like it, i.e. never. Right? Verse 4. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same, the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves, wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout the land, all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Verse 15, then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet you say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle. You are idle, and that is why you say, let us go sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. 
They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Wow. That was not how this was supposed to go. Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh full of confidence, full of hope. They've got the backing of Israel's leaders. They're gonna march into Pharaoh's courts and start making things happen, just overflowing with hope. Moses and Aaron, they're gonna go do exactly what God told them to do, and they do it, and things could not have gone worse. Not only does Pharaoh refuse to even acknowledge Yahweh, Israel's God, he raises the question, why are you taking the people away from their work? And he says, what's really going on here, it's not that you really care about worshiping your God. You're just lazy and don't want to work. And then in verse 9, it says Pharaoh demands heavier work. And that word work can also be translated service. And that word has the same root in Hebrew as the word worship. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 23, God tells Moses to tell Pharaoh that he needs to let Israel go so that they may serve him. Same word as work. And see, so much of the first part of the narrative of the book of Exodus is who is Israel going to serve? God has called them his special people and that they are meant to serve and worship him. But then you've got Pharaoh demanding that they serve him. Who is Israel going to be able to serve? Which, quick side note, just drawing a connection between work, service, and worship. Have you ever thought about why we call these gatherings worship services? What else do you go to in your life besides maybe a funeral with this gathering of people that's called a service? Who is being served here? God. Not you, just so you were clear. (laughs) God, right? This is not, uh, hey, the staff and the volunteers, those of us on stage and everyone else, uh, hey, we put together a little show for you, so come to the the nine o'clock showing and uh, we'll serve you, right? No, it's all of, we call it a service, why? Because all of us, are serving God in our worship. That is why we call this a church service, not a church presentation or a church experience. We come together. Nobody is passive in a church environment. We are offering God a service of worship. That's why we use that word. Back to the story. So Pharaoh demands heavier work, and then he takes away their straw without reducing their quota. What's he doing here? He's trying to manipulate the situation so that the people of Israel will turn against Moses and Aaron. He's making their lives more miserable and saying, hey, listen, you you don't like what's happening. Blame these guys. They came into my court, start running their mouth, and that's what, you want to be mad at somebody, be mad at them. Be mad at them. And it appears that Pharaoh's plan is working because the foremen go to Pharaoh, beg for mercy. They get none. They come back out. They see Moses and Aaron, and they don't mince words. They say, the Lord look on you and judge because you've made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. And and we, we can't miss the force of what they're saying here. What they're basically saying is they're questioning, God didn't really speak to you. Because if you were really doing what God asked you to do, this would not have happened, right? And then Moses, he is not gonna let the chain of complaining stop with him. He turns to God. And he says, oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? By the way, if you feel like you need to be polite in your prayers, I'm not sure where you got that idea, but it's not in the Bible, right? I'm not saying you should be rude to God, but what I am saying is don't be afraid to let it all out there, right? I had a wonderful pastor, or excuse me, wonderful professor in seminary years and years ago who'd spent many years as a pastor, and he told this story once. The details are a little bit fuzzy, but the gist of it I'll, I'll never forget. He, he was serving as a pastor, and a woman in his congregation had suffered some sort of significant loss. I don't rec- recall exactly what it was, but it was, it was really bad. And she expressed to him, I'm just, I'm mad at God. I don't understand. I'm mad at God. So can we meet and can we talk about it? And he said, sure. So 
And just think, to put yourself in the pastor's position, what would your, kind of, your mindset be going into a meeting like this? So she comes in. He's sitting behind his desk. She's sitting at a chair across the desk from him. And she begins to share how mad she is at God, at, at what's gone on. And what the pastor did is, I think this is so beautiful. Instead of giving a bunch of reasons and this and that and trying to, you know, whatever, he pulls his chair out from behind the desk and goes and sits next to her. And he says out loud, God, I'm not defending you on this one. This does not seem right. And they spent 20 minutes together complaining out loud. God, why? Why did you do this? This is terrible. I'm in so much pain. How could you? On and on and on and on and on they go. And after 20 minutes of just laying it all out there, the woman says, you know, I'm not really mad at God. I'm just really, really sad. And after getting all of that out there, then they're able to have a conversation about God being with us in our broken places, God being with us in our disappointment, God who is, who is for us. And we can get beyond these sort of little platitudes we say to try to feel better, right? Sometimes we need to let those things out before we can really be comforted by God's presence with us. But what's going on in the Exodus story here? It's just devastating disappointment, right? And, and disappointment in our lives, it doesn't just pop up on its own. Disappointment usually comes where hope was before, right? We had hopes for something, and those hopes were not fulfilled, right? The, the new job, it's going to be everything I wanted in life. Or, or now I'm married, life can really get going. Or now I'm finally retired, and it's time to start living, right? By the way, I share a calendar with my recently retired parents. It is really irritating, Golf, pickleball, bridge. Anyway. <laughs> but when the sun goes down on our hope, disappointment begins to rise, right? When, the sun, when our hopes are unfulfilled, disappointment begins to rise. And that, I just shared kind of three generic sort of big examples, but this hope disappointment cycle, it works itself out in smaller areas too. I'll give you a very small example from my own life. So, so I spent the first several months of this year training to run the Orange County Marathon, which was on May 1st. And for the first part of this year, things were going great. Like my training was going fantastic. I was feeling really strong. I, things were going so well, I was actually looking forward to waking up early in the morning to run. I know, weird. But come, <laughs> but around the beginning of April, something weird started to happen. L long story short, I just, I wasn't recovering from my runs. My legs were just super, super sore. They were just dead. I'm like, man, what? What's going on here? And you gotta understand, I, I, love, I love running, I love just physical stuff, I love, I love these events, I look forward to them so much. And I've run three marathons in my life, and at all three, I finished, but something went wrong and I didn't hit my time goal. So I'm looking at this May 1st going, man, I'm feeling great, I'm in shape, I'm gonna hit my goal, this is gonna be fantastic. Well now all of a sudden, I have to shut things down for a whole week, a month before the race, which is a, that's a, that's a little bit of a problem, right? And then as I start to get back into it, after an ordinary, just kind of normal run, I noticed my foot starts hurting. And like when you run, like your body just kind of constantly hurts. So I didn't really think anything of it at first. But then, like next day, next day, next day, it wasn't getting better. It wasn't getting better. If anything, it was getting worse. So I'm right up to the week of the race. I mean, everything's paid for and it's non-refundable, so I have no real incentive to cancel. But right up until the week of the race, I'm 50-50 I'm on if I'm even going to get on the plane to fly down there. Well, then as that week progresses, my, my wife starts not feeling great. She ends up getting tested, and she tests positive on Thursday prior to the race. So I go from 50-50 to 0-100, right? Like, obviously, I'm not going because, you know, my wife has COVID. Well, then, the day that I was supposed to run the race, that Sunday morning, May 1st, instead, I go into Kaiser, get tested, and I have COVID as well. Now, there was grace in this for me not to run because my foot injury ended up being a bit more serious than we thought. I'm not wearing a boot anymore, but I've been wearing one the last three weeks, you might have, you might have noticed. But here's the thing, I was disappointed. I was really disappointed, I was looking forward to it, I'd done the work, I love doing these races, I love doing events, and it was just another thing, couldn't, couldn't do it. And, and just my personality, I don't know if any of you are like this, that I don't like to sort of sit in disappointment, I don't like to let myself feel emotions like that. I tend to be a little bit in denial when I'm feeling disappointed, but this is what happened. And, and give me a little head nod if, if you can relate to this at all. Once I started, 
allowing myself to just process, man, I'm, I'm really just disappointed in the injury and just, you know, I, I love to run and I can't run anymore and, and I want to do this race so bad and I can't get to do it. Once I let myself feel it, this little voice started talking to me in my head and the voice went something like this. Um, hey, Brian, people are like getting sick and dying all over the world. Like, hey, there's like war and suffering and people losing jobs and taking out second mortgages to fill their gas tanks and like real, like there's racism and sexism and all these other terrible isms in the world. Like there's real suffering in the world. I'm so sorry you didn't get to run your little racy-wacy. That must have been hard for you. (laughs) Anybody have a voice like that? Anybody? Okay, okay, not just me. All right, all right. And there is, of course, a kernel of truth to that. Not more than a kernel of truth to that. In the grand scheme of things, missing a race and having a nagging dumb foot injury that makes you do stupid elliptical instead of running, we're good. Uh, (laughs) It's an incredibly small thing, and I'm very aware of that. But if we wait to feel our disappointment until we're the most disappointed person in the world, we're going to drive ourselves crazy. We're going to just fill up with all of this unprocessed emotion, right? Listen, disappointment is not a contest. Somebody else's greater disappointment does not invalidate yours, right? When it's there, we need to feel it and we need to name it. But, but the fact remains, and again, I shared that example specifically because it is such a small one. But bigger disappointment can be brutal, can't it? It can cause us to question all sorts of stuff. Isn't that right? It, it, it isolates us because we feel like we're the only one. After all, everyone on Instagram is happy, right? D- disappointment makes us afraid, right? Is it always going to be this way? Disappointment makes us question ourselves. Why did I ever get my hopes up, right? D- disappointment can make us awfully forgetful. Do you know how many times up to this point in the book of Exodus, God laid out the plan for Moses? Go to Israel, or excuse me, go to Egypt, talk to Pharaoh, tell him to let the people go. He's going to say no. Things are going to go badly. Don't worry, I'm with you. Four times, four times, God gave him the plan, and things go exactly the way that God said they're going to go. And Moses is over here going, where did this come from? How could I have known? Right? We forget. We forget. Disappointment causes us to question God. God, I thought you would. God, how could you? God, do you care? God, are you even here? Disappointment reveals an awful lot about us, doesn't it? Oftentimes, in our disappointment, we can see what's really going on in our hearts. And if I can just press on this for a quick moment, disappointment can reveal our idols, right? What have I truly placed my hope in? And then disappointment can make us afraid to hope again, can't it? Like, man, I don't want to get hurt anymore, so I don't want to hope. And just such, one of the just challenges of living in a fallen world, right, is that when you and I, when we open ourselves up to hope, when we open ourselves up to joy, when we open ourselves up to love, what is that? It's a, it's a risk, isn't it? Because we open ourselves up to the potential for greater pain. And I understand the temptation to borrow language from the book of Exodus to just say, you know what, I want to close off my heart. I want to live with a hard heart and not let anyone in because to have a soft heart, it's just too risky and it can just be too painful. Now, I think we know in our sober-minded moments, a decision like that is not going to lead to our flourishing. But I understand its appeal. I understand its appeal. But the bottom line is that Exodus chapter 5 is just a blitzkrieg of disappointment for Israel. And to make matters worse, you can imagine Moses going, God, I did exactly what you told me to do. What happened? And that's not really far off from what he says. In fact, if you look at the text, verses 22 and 23, he doubts God's goodness. God, why have you done this evil? He questions God's purpose, saying, why why did you even send me? And he questions God's action, saying, you haven't even delivered us. Clearly, Moses thought this was going to be quick, and it was not. So so before we turn the page to chapter 6, we just need to talk for a quick minute about what we do with all of this. First of all, it is okay to be disappointed. It is okay to be disappointed. If you are here 
and you are battling disappointment and discouragement, I promise you, you're not the only one. We're gonna close our time today by just, just praying for, for folks who are in that place, and, and you're gonna see, you're not the only one. And we can be honest about our disappointment, because listen, God meets us in reality, right? God meets us in reality. And when we are denying reality, we are closing ourselves off from him. So we can name reality and call it what it is. So it's okay to be disappointed. Second, there is a tension that you and I as believers have to live with. And the tension is, on the one hand, when we walk in obedience, we open ourselves up to experiencing more of God's power and provision. Right? God knows how life works best. He, dem- he shows us how to live. And when we walk in obedience, we are walking in God's ways, and God's ways are not random. He establishes them, again, because he knows how life works best. So when we live in obedience, when we prioritize obedience to the word of God, if you kind of track with me on this metaphor here, we are getting into the stream of what God is doing in the world, and we make it more and more possible to experience his power and to experience him moving in our lives. So that is absolutely true, and it is good, and it is beautiful. But the other side of that coin is that it's also true that obedience does not mean there won't be pain. Right? Obedience to Jesus Christ, in fact, often involves quite a bit of discomfort, and it can even involve quite a lot of pain. And sometimes that pain can serve to remind us of a truth that is a little bit uncomfortable for us, especially as Americans, but a truth that is good and beautiful and something for us to cling to, and that is that you and I are really, really small. And God is really, really big. And he has a plan for the universe that is so much bigger than any one of us individually And because God is so big and we are so small, that means there are going to be times when God's plans do not make sense to us. That we are going to look out into the world and go, I don't get it. And that's okay. That is part of being a small and finite person serving a big God. And I mean, just look at the Bible. There There are just story after story of people who were obedient and still faced all sorts of different challenges. John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. Jesus says there's no greater man born of a woman than John the Baptist. He does what God asks him to do. How does his life end? Not retired in a gated community. Which I question if that's really, anyway, we're just going to leave that alone. But... He dies in prison, right? Jeremiah, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, God calls him to deliver a message. He delivers the message. Things go so badly for Jeremiah that in Jeremiah chapter 20, he basically calls God a liar. He's like, God, you lied to me, right? Listen, the Bible does not shy away from difficulties and disappointments in this life, and neither should we. Now, why am I telling you all of this? Am I telling, it, telling this to you to depress you? Yes, I am. Thanks for coming to church today. No. <laughs> I'm telling you this so that when trouble comes your way in this life, you won't be surprised. Because if you and I, if we are going to survive disappointment, and I believe God can work powerfully in our disappointment and discouragement, But if we're going to see that happen, if we're going to survive our disappointment, we need to remember our faith is not a get-out-of-jail-free card that excludes us from any sort of pain and disappointment, right? Our faith is a tangible reminder to us that God is with us in the disappointment. God's plan is still good. God's plan is still in place. We can trust him to be with us no matter what we are going through. If we're not honest about these things, then we're just going to be completely unprepared, when trouble comes our way. And I gotta tell you, the the word of God, rightly understood and applied, is the best preparation we have to face the troubles and tragedies of this life. Because the word of God tells us who God is. It tells us who we are. It tells us the story. It is worth your time to invest some time and energy in understanding the grand narrative arc of scripture so you can understand, once again, that you are part of a good and beautiful story. But the Bible's also honest about the difficulties of this life. What does Jesus say? In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. Why? Because I have overcome the world, right? And then we can look to the cross and have that be our great comfort in the face of troubles and tragedies. Why? Because it's a reminder that God is not away from us going, hey, good luck, I hope things go well for you. 
but that God has actually come into our world. He has taken on flesh. He has suffered with us. And the cross is empty and the tomb is empty. Why? Because he's overcome his suffering. Right? And he is with us and he is for us. In fact, I want to if, I'm going to finally get to the fill-in-the-blank, which those of you fill-in-the-blank watchers I know are nervous. But if you, have your, if you have your handout or you're following along on the app, this is it. It's God is with us in the struggle. God is with us in the struggle. In your heartache, in your fear, in your questioning, God is with us. God is moving. God is not absent. God is present. God is good. Your life is part of a wonderful plan. That is your hope and mine. And as we turn our attention to chapter 6, I want you to see how God deals with Moses' disappointment. I mean, Moses has become just completely unglued, right? And he's lashing out at Yahweh, and look what happens next. Verse 1. But Yahweh said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. Quick pause. Notice, God does not criticize Moses for his complaining. He just says, listen, I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep working. Verse 2. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groanings of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am Yahweh your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give, to you, I will give it to you for a possession. I am Yahweh. So in Moses' discouragement and disappointment, God speaks. I hope that you know that God doesn't just speak to us in the mountaintop moments. That God is speaking in our disappointment and in our discouragement. God is speaking in our harsh reality. God speaks in Moses' harsh reality. And just look what he says. These are promises to Moses. These are promises for us to cling to. Number one, he says, I'm in control. He says, I'm in control. You're going to see what I'm going to do, he says to Moses. In other words, Moses is freaking out. God assures him that he isn't. Listen, you and I freak out all the time. You and I get caught off guard all the time. You understand that never happens for God, right? God's never like, oh my gosh, what happened? What do you mean Pharaoh said no? What are we going to do now? <laughs> right? God is in control. And I think it's really interesting that God doesn't answer the why question. Moses goes to Pharaoh going, why? And God's answer to him is, I'm in control. See, oftentimes you and I, we want the answer to the why question, don't we? I certainly do. But I don't think the answer to the why question is quite as helpful as we think it's going to be. Because there are many different things in this world. There is no answer why that is going to be good enough. Isn't that right? There is just stuff that is evil, there is stuff that is wicked, and these things defy explanation. No why is going to make us feel better. We need to know that God is still in control and still working. That's what we need to know. And he can and will use all things to mold us and shape us into the image of his son. That truth is one of our great weapons in discouragement and disappointment. God is in control. And he will use all things to shape our character and mold us into the image of his son. Second, he reminds Moses of his promises. He says, listen, I've heard the cries of my people and I've remembered my covenant. Psalm 105 verse 8, God remembers his covenant forever. God does not forget his promises. When Jesus was on the earth, at the end of his life, he talked about starting a new covenant in his blood. Right? 
And that new covenant reminds us that forgiveness is possible. That new covenant reminds us that we have a savior who died and rose again. The new covenant reminds us that we have a savior who intercedes for us. We have one who has promised to always be with us. These are promises for us to cling to in our disappointment because they remind us that God is with us in the struggle. God's promise is to be with us in the struggle. God's promise is that we will one day be redeemed and restored. God's promise is that the pain and disappointment will have an end time. And then third, God reminds Moses and the people that he's going to save them. Verse six, I'm gonna save you and bring you out into Egypt. This is, for us, a picture of our salvation. God meets us in our slavery to sin and he sets us free so that we can worship him. Paul says in Galatians chapter one that Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. That's the language of rescue, right? God rescues you and I from spiritual slavery through Jesus. And then God says in the passage that you will be my people. That is the language of adoption, right? We are adopted into God's family. So God says, I'm in control. God says, these are my promises. And God says, this is what I'm going to do for you. And his repeated message for Israel is, I'm with you, and I'm going to keep my promises. And that is his message for us today. God says, I'm with you, and I'm going to keep my promises. Listen, the good news for us is not that things always go our way in this life. And I'm not going to tell you any different because I'd be lying. (laughs) But the good news is God always goes with us in this life, right? That in our disappointment, in our devastation, we can discover a God who fills those voids with himself. Now, what I'm going to say next is really, really important for those of us in this room today who you'd say, yeah, I'm, I'm walking through significant disappointment right now. Because I am acutely aware of the fact that everything I just said for the last five minutes might actually be making things worse, because you might be sitting there going, okay, yeah, yeah, God is in control, God keeps his promises, and, and God, is gonna, God is gonna do what God's gonna do. Like, yes, that is all true, and I know that is supposed to make me feel better, but it doesn't. And I'm still angry, and I'm still confused, and now I feel guilty, because I think I'm supposed to feel better, but I don't. Thanks a lot, Pastor, appreciate it, right? If that's you, you're in good company. Look at verse nine. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, go in and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me, for I am of uncircumcised lips? But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land. Moses shares all of this, everything that God has said to him. He shares it with the people, and they are so broken that they can't even hear it. They're so broken, they couldn't even listen to the promise of freedom. And look what the Bible doesn't say. The Bible doesn't say they were right or wrong to feel that way. It just says that's where they were. That's where they're at. And maybe you're in that spot today. And I'm telling you, if you're there, it's okay. You don't need to feel guilt or shame over this. Because look what else doesn't happen. God doesn't give up on them. God doesn't go, oh, you're not gonna, you're not gonna receive my promises, you're not gonna be full of faith, you're gonna, you're gonna question, okay, I'm out. God doesn't do that. God continues to press in. See, God is so good, he is faithful even when our brokenness leads us to being faithless. God continues to be faithful. So God tells Moses to go talk to Pharaoh. Moses, true to form, says, I don't think I can do it. But God's like, really, we're doing this again? Go do it, right? My translation. Now, the next 12 verses are a genealogy, which I will not read to you. You're welcome. But this is more than like a commercial break in the story. It actually serves an important purpose. Genealogies are boring for us. At least they're boring for me. But they served a very important purpose for the original readers. In this instance, I'm going to make just two quick points, and then we're going to move on. First, one of the main reasons this genealogy is here 
is because God has just reiterated that Moses and Aaron are going to be his representatives to the people. So the genealogy, what it's doing is it's establishing that Moses and Aaron are part of a priestly line, the line of Levi, which gives them authority to represent God to the people and the people to God. So that's pretty much the whole point. That's a bit of an oversimplification, but that's what the author is doing in seemingly interjecting this genealogy that feels very random. So that's point number one. Point number two, holy cow, this genealogy is a mess. So we've got um, Moses' dad marrying his aunt. Cool. We've got mention of Aaron's first two sons who are such insufferable morons that in Leviticus chapter 10, God just kills them. He's like, you're done. Like, they're just, it's over, right? Uh, We've got intermarrying that isn't supposed to happen, and that's just scratching the surface. I'm telling you, one of the best reasons to study biblical genealogies is to feel better about your own family tree. Like, I am telling you, man, like, these are some messed up people. A continued theme of scripture is that God uses people who absolutely do not have their act together. And that kind of gives a different flavor if you skip down to verse 26 to how, how we read verses 26 and 27. It says, These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. And it was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. And you can kind of almost imagine the original readers going, These are Aaron and Moses? This Moses? This Aaron? The guys with the mama ant? Right? The, the guy whose kids are like completely out of control? These guys? Really? God uses people who do not have their act together. Moses, it seems, is not exactly brimming with confidence either. Verse 28. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord, Yahweh, said to Moses, I am Yahweh. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Uncircumcised lips, just him complaining again. God, I'm not a very good speaker. How am I going to do this? All right, chapter 7. We're just going to go through verse 7 and then we're done. Pastor Jude will pick it up next week. The Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment." The Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the people of Israel from among them. Remember, an outstretched hand was a symbol of Egyptian power. God is using it in a different way here. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Now that's how you spend your retirement right there, you know? Career as a shepherd, and now I just like to relax by liberating enslaved people groups, right? So here's what's going to happen. That's what God is saying here. He just lays out the plan once again. And let's remember, it's easy to, I think, to picture this as some sort of, like, epic showdown that's brewing, like, you know, God and Pharaoh, here we go. Like, this is not, like, a heavyweight fight, right? This is a lion going against a kitten, Right? And if you're a cat person, let me make this better for you. A very annoying kitten who is not cute and just scratches and is annoying. Right? This is not like Pharaoh's fate is sealed. God is going to use even Pharaoh's obstinance and stubbornness to highlight God's own glory and power. God is going to move in such a spectacular fashion that it will awaken this broken people. It will give them renewed renewed hope even though they've been crushed by slavery. And God again says he's going to stretch out his hand against the Egyptians and free Israel. In the face of crushing disappointment, God's plan is continuing to move forward. Is it possible that's true for you? I believe it is. In the face of crushing disappointment, God's plan continues 
to move forward. And before God is done, he will redeem Israel and turn their disappointment into celebration. Things will not always be easy, but he's still working and he hasn't given up on them. And we sitting here as 21st century Christians, on the other side of the life and death of Jesus, on the other side of the cross, we can look to the cross once again as our reminder that God has not given up on us, that God has entered the fray, so to speak, that God has suffered with us. He is alive. He is working. He is for us. He has not abandoned us. He sees us. And once again, a day is coming when pain will have an end point. So in the meantime, what do we do? We pray. We trust we remember that God is with us in the struggle. We remember that we are part of a great story with a sure and glorious ending. We let others hold us up when we're too weak to stand on our own. And we hold others up when we're in that place. We look to the cross and remember that Jesus is alive so you and I can have real hope in the midst of our disappointment. God met Israel in their disappointment and he gave them a new story. Right? The story that Israel, that this generation would tell their descendants was not a story of slavery and captivity. It was a story of deliverance and the power of God. Right? They were able to look back and see God's hand through everything. God meets us in our disappointment today. And what we can be sure of is that the end of our story in this life or the life to come will not be disappointment and discouragement. It will be freedom and hope and joy. Amen? Amen. So here's what we're going to do as we close. If you're here today and you're going, I am walking through a season of significant disappointment and discouragement. And I'm just, I'm, I am struggling today. All the things, you know, I'm Afraid to hope again. I'm just, I'm sad. I'm, I'm forgetful. I mean, all these things. If you're sitting here today going, man, I'm, I'm disappointed. In a minute, I'm going to ask you to, to stand up. And I'm not going to ask, you're not going to say anything. I'm not going to, you know, none of, it's not going to be weird, I promise. All I want you to do is stand up here, here at church, surrounded by your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because all we want to do is just be able to pray for you and encourage you. Because in your disappointment, we want to be able to pray God's presence and protection and power over you and for you to know that God sees you. So if you're willing, and if you're in that place today and you're disappointed, would you be willing just to stand to your feet so that we can pray for you? I'll, I'll give you a minute to, to do that. So first thing... I want to point out, and there's still time to stand if you want to, if you want to stand. I, I want you just to look around, okay? I, there's a lot of folks standing in this room. And again, I think one way that the enemy uses disappointment in such an insidious and wicked way is that it isolates us. Everyone else is happy. I'm the only one. I want you just to look around and see that you're not, that we're a community of strugglers, right? And if you are near somebody who's, who's standing, I, I just want to encourage you if, just to extend out a hand, or if you're near, put a hand on, your, hand on their shoulders. And if you, if you don't want someone touching you, you can just you know, politely ask, ask them not to. But if you're near somebody and you wouldn't mind laying a hand, just because we want to come around those who are disappointed right now, and we want to pray. We said this is a church service where we're serving together, offering our worship to God. This is us as a community surrounding one another, praying for each other, praying, praying together for healing and deliverance and power. So if you're comfortable just, just reaching out a hand or putting a hand on someone near you, let's pray together. God, we thank you that even in our moments of disappointment, that you are present and at work. We thank you, God, as we have stood to our feet just to identify ourselves as, as ones who are struggling, ones who are disappointed. We thank you that we can be surrounded in this place by our brothers and sisters who can lift us up and who can pray for us. God, we thank you that you are a God who meets us in our disappointment, in our discouragement, that you speak truth when our mind is spinning, that you anchor us in who you are. God, we thank you that in our disappointment, we know that you are in control. We thank you that in our disappointment, you keep your promises. 
And we thank you that we are a part of a great story in which you will save and you will deliver us. We thank you that we can have hope in the midst of our disappointment because of who you are. And just as we continue to pray and Rayon's playing in the background, he's just gonna sing the chorus of a song we sang earlier. Just sing it one time over us as we're praying about these things to, to remind us that in our disappointment, we have real hope. Our hope isn't necessarily that things are going to always go our way, but our hope has a name and his name is Jesus. So just listen to these words as he sings. God, we thank you that you can speak words of hope to us in our disappointment, that we can ultimately hope in you. And I pray for each one standing here today, God, would you help them to know that they are seen by you? Would you help them to know that there is hope in the name of Jesus, God? And for all of us, whether we're walking through it today or, or it's waiting for us tomorrow, would you just seal in our hearts that truth that there is hope for us? And God, in these specific situations, we do pray that you would move, that you would bring physical healing, that you would bring relational healing, that you would bring emotional and spiritual healing, that you would bring financial provision. And in all of it, may we be reminded that you are with us in the struggle, that you are good and that you are for us and that we can have hope because of who you are. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of your weekend. Prayer team is up here and would love to be able to pray for you if that would be a blessing to you. We'll see ya.